Hello, and welcome to Exit the Stage Door. I am your host, Aaron Teachman. I know, it's been a minute, or a month and a half. Um, I got busy. That's a thing, and it's going to continue to be a thing throughout this season, and I beg your patience and indulgence. Um, but fortunately, I got together with projection designer Patrick Lord before things got super busy, which is actually in the future as you're listening to this in early November. Um, but that means now you get that awesome conversation, which I absolutely loved, now uh, in place of nothing, which is great because this uh, it's, it's an amazing conversation. Patrick is, is an amazing person, a great designer, very thoughtful. Um, it was truly uh, a joy to sit down and chat with him about the philosophy about being a designer, about growing the capacity for projection and media design in DC theater and what that means in terms of personnel and, and the philosophy of the whole thing. It was, it was really wonderful. Uh, it was really great. And I'm super happy to be able to share this with you. Now, I, this was actually the first of a season three's episodes to be recorded. Um, which means I was, not in the flow of being a podcast host when I recorded it. So um, there are times when I just, I, I felt the need to make a few cuts. And there's one cut in particular that's that feels kind of egregious. And um, you'll notice it because we'll jump right in and talking about sewer titles. And it will not be immediately apparent why, but uh, give it a minute. And it'll be great. It will make sense. And it will be lovely. And just know that I spared you some truly boring awfulness of me failing to be a good host. Uh, and for that, I apologize. But in the meantime, here is Patrick Lord being an amazing and thoughtful designer and an absolutely wonderful guest. So without further ado, addenda, provisos, etc., 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 here we go. Patrick Lord. Enjoy. That's running, and that's running. Great. Awesome. And you're there too. Okay, great. <laughs> so, cool. uh, thanks for agreeing to do this. This is really cool. Sure. Um, the podcast has been on a hiatus for a while. Uh, I took a trip to Alaska and thought I would do more with that. That's a, that's boiling in the background. And then just never got back into the swing of it. I had a couple of times with, um, with Fringe where I was able to talk to some playwrights and some directors about their Fringe shows. But otherwise, like, you're like the first <laughs> in a while so i apologize okay. if i'm rusty yet no that's fine and it's nice to uh it's nice for someone to reach out to designers i feel like i see a lot of like directors producers every other color under the sun but there's there's few people to talk about designers so yeah it's one of the things i really like one of the missions of mm -hmm. the of the show was really born out of me as an electrician working like hanging lights at the Harmon mm -hmm. and Sean McCarthy, the mass electrician there would be taking people around backstage mm -hmm. and just explaining the space to them and, um, you know, donors and pretty typical stuff like yeah. that. And they loved it, <laughs> loved it. Like, and things that we completely took for granted in our mm -hmm. day to day. And we were just like, that's so boring. Why they were just, they were, they were all over it. So I think, that there's just a real depth in theater and it takes a really large community to make theater mm -hmm. that I think there's a real hunger for people to to hear from designers as well as directors and actors and playwrights and all of the things that we normally associate with with putting on a play but I like to do so that's that's the the goal of the show is definitely to yeah I mean that makes sense I remember when I was designing it Shakespeare the Harmon we felt like zoo animals when they have those like previews <laughs> oh and we're like gosh. roped off and it's you're like there you're like trying to do your job but you're like oh these like 100 and 200 people are here just to like watch us do our work in the yeah though and like and tech too like the worst part of tech the really bo well the boring part of tech you're like mm -hmm. you're sitting and so we're gonna try to move this wall and we're gonna do it again and we're gonna do it again yeah <laughs> and I'm sorry you're here but they love it <laughs> yeah it's it is true it's stuff you take for yeah. granted you know um we're, we're on the inside of a secret society. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting too. Um, I had, I had a Q and a in, um, Houston that, uh, we'll loop back to that because one thing that I, I, I speaking of zoo animals in the two places in DC, DC is particularly good for this that I really like because mm -hmm. Folger Shakespeare 
and Fords are both technically museums during the day. So you will often get just random strangers wandering into the room. And at Fords, it's particularly interesting because the people in the room aren't necessarily there to see you do your job. Right. Um, like people at Folger like know they're walking into a theater and then they're going to talk about theater things, but a lot of people at Forge want to know where Lincoln was killed, right? And they want to know all of those stories. And then we just happen to be like focusing projectors that day. Right. <laughs> it's super interesting. Uh, yeah, and and, and Forge, you, they can't see you because they're they come in on the upper balcony and oh, we're sure. working in the orchestra level, so it's it's very like disembodied. You can always hear the docents like talking, mm-hmm. and then we're just to the right, to the right. <laughs> <laughs> The first show that I did there, uh, Clint Allen was the designer. Mm-hmm. We were doing uh, one of the things that they had commissioned, uh, the Widow Lincoln. Okay. Um, so it was there was a moment that was ab- about that directly references the assassination. Sure. And we have a projector focused on the box, and we have to do projector focus. But also, there are people there who just want to take pictures of the box. Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's. Uh, I remember I did a when I was in grad school. We did so we mapped our theater building and when we were doing Ooh. an overnight to do it it was funny because we were just doing putting up like test pattern after test pattern in our uvw map and everything else and people could come out to us they'd be like whoa what are you guys doing and we were like this is this is the test pattern like you have to come back later <laughs> for the actual thing but i thought it was like it was like checker box and all that kind of stuff we we're like yeah. that's amazing we we're like we're not doing anything yet like <laughs> but yeah, yeah. so where did you go to school uh, i went to ut austin Oh, you did? No kidding. I did too in a past life for oh, a completely yeah. different reason. I was in the German department. Interesting. Uh, getting, I was in the PhD program at the time. I, I obviously didn't stick with that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you, so you worked with Sven then? Yeah. yeah, Sven came. He started. I was brought in by Charlie Audi, who's a director mm-hmm. uh, out in LA now. He did, he worked with like Robert Wilson's and stuff like oh, that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I actually like observed Einstein on the beach at the LA Opera when I was there. That's um, awesome. And then he ended up leaving UT to go back to being a director halfway through, and he's the one that started the program. And so we brought Sven in. So I had Sven for a year and a half and Charlie for a year. And wow, a half. that's Im- that's impressive. So Sven was Sven is, in my opinion, one of the, the better projection designers out there. He's you know, and now that I know him, like he's he, the way he thinks about the work is interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's I I I was not in projection at the time, but I we did he did Wonderland at. The alley. Okay, well, yeah. the Wonderland was a co-pro that eventually pushed to Broadway with like mm-hmm. big producers. Um, so he was. This was two thousand and nine. So they were programming with a grandma, a one, um, and we had. So we had two. We had a moving light programmer with that grandma, and then we had the guy whose nickname was Jesus was the sure because <laughs> of his really long hair and like generally chill attitude, and he was controlling the media server from the grandma. So I was in the booth with him mm-hmm. while they were while they were doing that, all that stuff. And yeah, Sven was that was yeah. amazing. He he's one of my best examples of when people talk about like teams for projection and like like how big mm-hmm. of like a team you need. Yes. I reference uh when he did Midsummer Night's Dream with Julia Taymor. Oh my gosh. And they'd had this and all it was the set was all fabric that was twisted around and he had sixteen different sixteen K projectors in the theater. And so there's a picture of just his team, and it's like six tech tables because it's like him, his associate, his assistants, the programmers, the content editors. It was like everyone. I'm like, see. So when I ask for an assistant or like one content person, I'm not asking for a lot. It's not insane. No, it's not insane at all. <laughs> or yeah. Like an engineer. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, that's so great. Um, I just recently worked with um, Arena on Dave, and yep. this was true of Dear Evan Hansen as well. That when Peter Negrini came in, he also has his. Team. He has himself, his assistant, the content editor, mm-hmm. the D3 programmer, disguise slash no one knows what to call it anymore. Um, really expensive piece of kit that no one actually gets to play with unless right. Broadway's involved. Um, and somebody in New York mm-hmm. <laughs> who was doing their Cinema 4D stuff on a like much bigger machines than the IMAX that they were sure. working with. And then like they had to have a real internet connection to mm-hmm. do that, which was I mean, completely fascinating. But yeah, like projection involves... Uh, in particular involves pretty big teams it's a bit like doing sound in a musical yeah i mean i think that when you get into it um people don't people don't think about it they think about it more they think about it through the lens of like lighting because that's what it looks like yes 
But it's like, no, you know, it's like when you say like, oh, I don't like that. I need a new version. It's almost like telling you like a scene shop. It's like, yeah, the set, the paint, the backdrop's not working. Can I get another one tomorrow? It's like, no, no, that one took a while. Like, yeah. it's, <laughs> I know I'm hitting buttons, but like the work right. actually takes a while. It's so funny because people's instincts on that are completely off. Mm-hmm. There will be times like, I know this is crazy. Uh, don't hate me. Can you, can you do this thing? Can you warp it? Can you change the color? Uh, like just, it's something's a little bit off and I'm like, like I already did. I just fixed it. Look at it again. Right. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I need that animation to be slightly different. Like that one will take all day. Right. Like that will have to render overnight and then we can look at it again tomorrow. <laughs> right. And I think that that's, you know, uh, what we were, what we were taught is that one of the big things in doing projection design, your job is actually to manage expectations. Like mm. That's the first thing you have to do in the room. You got to be like, you know, if we want to do this, like think about all the animations this way, I'm going to bring in some stills and we'll get a sample of this way or we'll do like five second little version and then we'll be like, cool. And then I'll render a full thing. You got to really be clear with your director and your team about exactly what is going on. Um, and I think that's kind of the, one of the bigger things that some people don't realize because mm-hmm. that's what usually causes the biggest headaches in tech is when people are like, well, yeah. why can't you do this now? And I'm like, well, because... <laughs> It'll take me an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want me following along while you tech the rest of the show, <laughs> um, you know, I, we, we corresponded for the fir- one of the first times during <laughs> Love and Information at Forum and I came in and I only had a weekend to do that show That's because I, I, I came back early from a show I was doing in Michigan because they couldn't find people and I was leaving for California. And so I, I sat down and I was like, it was just tra- these transitional videos that Michael wanted and, uh. I was like, great, I'm going to put my headphones in and you guys tech your show, but like, I need to not really be paying that yeah. much attention. Uh, and it worked and it went, it went well. And then I added like 20 cues from California. It was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Predictors crashed the day that I left, you know. But. Yes, uh, that was fun. All, all because of the little little extra gravity from yep. <laughs> tugging on the adapter, which yep. is always fun. And I'm, I admit, I'm like, I'm a designer. I'm not an engineer. So please hire someone that knows this. I'm like, I have done it before, but I'm, I get, you know, I get uh, rusty at it. <laughs> well, and also I discovered, so with the show that I did at the alley, um, mm-hmm. Holmes and Watson, they brought me in, uh, they didn't conceive of it with projections originally. And that was a, an idea that they added later. Yes. That is a, that is a, that is a tale as old as time. In the profession. <laughs> um, so they needed someone though, who could be the engineer, the programmer and the designer, mm-hmm. um, which is very frequent at, at all levels of theater. Yeah. Um, and it, it I, did not appreciate i had like clint has brought me on a couple times as a programmer just so that it like eases his Mm -hmm. he uses watch out most of the time as do most theaters once they invest that in thirty three hundred dollars a license they they tend to want to use that um and sometimes i feel kind of guilty as like i i I deal with watch out pretty well at this point it's 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 second nature and and I'm waiting, often the time I'm waiting for him to react to the notes that he's getting from the director, you know, like, so there's downtime. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was programming my own show, then I was like, oh, it feels like I need five brains and six hands because also I have to troubleshoot the computer and I don't know why this networking thing isn't working, but right. the director really, really needs to see this effect, which I already screwed up once because my brain was wrong mm-hmm. about what was happening. Sure. And like trying to keep up in the room, I was feeling guilty because I would be like working on the next piece of content and mm-hmm. that felt like... And, it always feels to me weird that like futzing around in After Effects is actually a thing that I'm like professionally paid to do. Yep. But experimenting with the look is kind of the thing. And and you once you discover a language, then you have a palette to work from. But finding the language can often feel like just futzing around. Mm-hmm. And then I feel guilty is like, oh, I should be paying attention to the show and the queuing is like, but if, you won't have anything to queue if you don't finish right. this idea. <laughs> so Right. Uh, yeah, I just... We're opening tonight at Bridges in Madison County mm-hmm. at Keegan Theater. This podcast will not be airing in the next 12, four hours, so it won't matter to anyone. Unfortunately but, not. Uh, but what was interesting is, you know, I was my own programmer this time. Normally mm-hmm. I get a programmer for the summer musicals that I do there. But this time I was programming myself, which meant that like the last day of previews was when I took the most notes because I'd finally yeah. finished queuing everything. And I was like, oh, now I'm watching the, I'm just watching the show on my computer now I'm going to change a bunch of things at the like 11th hour and do this kind of stuff and make all these tweaks. And, um, I mean, that's what I always say. It's, it's that you, it's two totally different mindsets yeah. of you are programming and you're thinking about how to program a show versus you are watching what's on stage and you need to respond to the, the whole production and the concepts and everything. That's why 
Um, I always advocate for it, but people don't seem to understand. They think that projection design sometimes feels like, because it's a late ad, it already feels like a, like a luxury mm -hmm. department. And so when we have needs, and it's a lot about, and it's not a, I don't say that as a blaming thing either. Sure, I yeah, think it's yeah. a, it's a learning thing mm -hmm. um, that this de that the department has uh, technical needs and requirements and teams and that kind of thing. So yeah, but definitely. it happens everywhere. It does, and uh, yeah, like I said, the people's instincts, people's instincts for that have not really been developed, so they don't realize what's happening. Yeah, uh, that's definitely true. Yeah. So. Uh, to to actually go back to that Q and A, and we all we I I like doing it, but in some ways it's kind of strange to just dive into the conversation. You're actually the first projection designer, like first person who's done exactly the same thing that I am doing. Like we're cool. we're doing the same thing, so it's fun. But we should watch it. our terminology and make sure that it's accessible for people. That we're right. like, oh, so you know when you work at the BenQ forty, like I don't even, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a terrible, that was a horrible joke in it. Um, <laughs> For a horrible projector. So, yeah. um, but that's actually what the Q&A was. One of the questions that the Q&A addressed specifically was a woman, um, I was with the set designer, the costume designer, and the sound designer. Mm -hmm. And the production manager was leading the discussion. And the lady um, quite astutely pointed out, I was like, okay, when you say costume design, I, I, I have a sense of what that means. When you say set design, I, I know what that means. And sound design, I know what that means. What does projection design mean? What what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> what is the thing that you do? So I'm curious how you would how you would answer that question because I don't think I necessarily handle it very well, but I'm definitely curious about how you <laughs> how you would. Oh. Um <laughs> That's definitely what that was definitely no, the first I, thing that happened to me. I, I was similarly asked this question once, uh, which was super awkward because I was asked it in front of like 400 children at Lincoln at the Lincoln Center Theater <laughs> on our last day of teching uh, where, words one, where words once were, which we brought up from the Kennedy Center. And one of the moderators was like, oh, I think our projection designer is here because someone asked, like, who did that? And they like, like everyone just turned around to the back row to face me. And I was like, oh, man. And the whole design team was laughing while I was stood up and answered. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that it's, uh, and I talk about this a lot. It's it's easy to want, for want people to think about it like lighting um, or like scenery, but I think that that's uh, it's it's a trap, and it depends on what shows because that's the thing. Every mm -hmm. show is very different. Um, I so it's it's a visual. It's the way that they visually score the show and add another voice that is not you know something we learned was like a costume. I'll, I'll, backpedal to answer this question in the longest way possible awesome <laughs> um costume design like tells you who the characters are mm -hmm. sound design tells you what the world sounds like Scener scenic design tells you what the it tells you where you are like these are the like if you were to give every design field like a one sentence thing lighting design like tells you where to look and sets the mood projection design uh <laughs> <laughs> um it can be uh, a voice a digital voice mm -hmm. it can be uh its own character it can be another way, another another additive uh, feature to the world. It can be a transformative thing. Um, you know, there's just, for me, it's it's hard to answer that question so succinctly because there isn't a succinct answer because I've done every version of it already. Like I've done like a little virtual character. I've done the whole set is mapped. I've done everything. So it's like it just depends on the show, um, and that's usually what. So if I were asked, it would be specific to whatever the show I was talking about. Right. Yeah. That is where I ended up yeah. with that one because we were doing uh, we were doing a realistic set and uh, evoking mood at the same time because uh, the director talked about wanting to feel the wetness. Mm -hmm. So my goal was to bring wetness inside without actually having to rain on things and to give you a sense of the storm outside. So, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's it's so much of it depends. That's uh, that's exactly uh, that's exactly true. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's that application is something that I sometimes. Um, warn people against in some ways of like I don't think that projection design is should be looked at as like a special effect toolkit oh yeah I agree yeah and the people would be like oh well look we want to do this and I'm like alright cool but I remember I did a show when my first show was back in town was the was a show where they're like alright it's so like act one it rains and then act two there's like this little Cambodian child in the trees that we want to do projection so like we want to do some projection and I was like cool and then the little boy ended up becoming made of water because the more we went into the script, it was like, oh, well, like, why is it raining in all of Act 1? Why are they on this island? And why is the storm like a thing? And so we dug into 
the dramaturg, the visual dramaturgy mm-hmm. of it. And it was, instead of just being like, I'm, putting, I'm doing right now, I'm doing this. It became about like a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important for projection design. It's, it's carrying, it's knowing and being clear about what your concept is and sticking to it to a degree. I mean, concepts can also be traps. You can, well, yeah. Um, but having an idea of just, it's not like a problem. It's not the, the problem solver for anything that comes yeah. up of like, we'll just fix it with projection. Right. Like, we need this. I'm like, we'll project it. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's, uh, I did, I spent a day at Yale and I've, I've heard it a couple, a couple other times from people who've talked to Wendell Harrington, who runs the mm-hmm. projection department up at Yale. But she, that's the, the very first thing that she asks the director when she's brought on is like, why do you need projection? Right. Like, she needs them to know the concept or at least the urgent need for the concept to justify her presence there. And mm-hmm. she, she is a fierce advocate for projection is not necessary yeah. in every production. And knowing that is it's actually been more beneficial for designers to be able to walk away from it. I think that projection designers should be the first person to fire themselves from a show. <laughs> they should be the first to go, nope, this is not needed. I'm going to go. Peace out. That being said, though, I also think there's a lot of chances where people think that there aren't they, they don't need projections because they haven't thought about it from the way the projection designer does. Yeah. And it would be like, oh, I've talked to friends of mine that are directors and they're like, oh, well, I'm doing this show, but you know, we don't have a projection designer because it's the show. And I was like, well, what if you had a projection designer doing X, Y, and Z in that show? And they were like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. And I'm like, right. The show doesn't call for like a video wall, but it right. doesn't mean that there's not <laughs> something that can be done in, in an interesting way. Right. Not everything is glass menagerie that actually specifically calls for it. Right. Um, one of the th- so the day that I sat in in classes actually is a really good example about that. One of the things that they were doing um, was talking about whether or not they thought it was appropriate to have projections in our town. Um, sure. And they were all very they were all very smart things. Um, some of the concepts that they developed for their versions of our town uh, were super cool. Uh, I'd love to see them actually. But and everyone but everyone eventually ended up in the class, and this blew my mind. Ended up on yeah, we can do without it. And like, our town is a play about the ephemera of life and things that look like they have an existence but actually have no meaning. Uh-huh. Of course, projection is perfect for that. Right. Uh, but yeah. So, but but the point of view that you bring to it and that your team brings out are the important things. That's it's a collaborative thing. I've just started rereading. <laughs> uh, the next podcast after this is me talking to a bunch of dramaturgs. Which is awesome, but I felt like I felt like I needed to bone up on some of my critical theory again. So I was sure. going back over some of my. That was the other. That was part of the past life in the German world was critical theory, postmodernity, um, and and cultural studies like that. So, um, it's the first thing that I. One of the first classes I took was about reading as a concept, like mm-hmm. understanding the history of people wrestling with what it means to read. Okay. And. It's interesting because so much of the history of it is a lot of people taking things for granted. Mm-hmm. And the, the more modern understanding of it is like, because it used to be like, it's the author, blah, 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 blah. The text is a thing unto itself. You don't need the author. Who cares mm-hmm. about that? And the reader is basically neglected. But until the sort of modern post-structuralist thought arrives and like, well, it's all happening in your brain, the reader's right. brain. And what's really happening there and, and what I think often happens in theater, and this, what I think is really magical about theater, is that it's a ver- the the show has a physical physical reality. That's part mm-hmm. of our job as designers is to create the physical reality. But the the essence of the show is this like is this sort of virtual interaction of all of the elements. It's the synergies that come from like getting a like the costume designer looking at what I've been like I've taken notes from a costume designer about what my projection should do because they had a view on the show that oh wow yeah this moment needs something that I can bring to it and they noticed it because of the way that their brain works and that Mm -hmm. that to me is the theater at its best is this like virtual synergistic like group thing that really yeah yeah I've uh I've been talking about that a lot in the past like like six months for um the idea of like stand your lane theater is like something I'm just not that interested in because mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of really smart people and the best shows I've ever done are always the ones where the the right idea and the best idea in the room wins no matter where it comes from and it's and it's this great and that's like you, the room just feels better when suddenly everyone feels like they're all talking to each mm-hmm. other 
for the reason of like, we're all trying to put on a show. So why would you not want to hear from like talented person sitting next to you that's doing something else that if they just have a thought? Because a lot of times you're working with people that, you know, after you've done like 40 shows or something, you have an idea of how theater works. And so you can be like, you're like, nah, that the like, that sa- I have, I work with, um, I work with Matt Nielsen a lot, who's a sound designer in town. Uh, not in town, he lives in Asheville now, but he works here all the time. Um, he's gonna hate me for talking about him on this podcast, but <laughs> but he's he's one of my uh, favorite collaborators because he and I have a very like we have a friendship that helps our dialogue of like we can talk to each other about our work, even though I know nothing about sound and I'm like I cannot use a I'm tone deaf and have no rhythm, <laughs> so I'm like that sound cue sounds like squanchy or like weird, and he's like yeah I understand what you're saying. And your projections look you know. I'm like, I know. So it's, there's a shorthand there, but it's, it's the give and take of having yeah. another person that knows theater. That's really helpful. Um, and something that like, you know, that's why I do theater and I'm not like a projection artist in a studio doing my own like right. solo projects. It's cause the collaboration is the, the heart of it. And what I think is, is so much fun. Yeah. I love get I love getting notes from anybody. Mm-hmm. I have, uh, I have assistants and I tell them from the beginning, I'm like, you're not here just to like work for yeah. me. Like, if you have an idea or you want to, if you think something I said is stupid, tell me, like, that's the goal. <laughs> well, and that's, uh, building out from my experience of it. Cause I started off as a technician. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started off as a technician who wanted to be a director. Like I got into theater hoping to become a director and that by working in theater, I would be close enough to that. Um, sure. Which was wrong. Like I would, uh, at least for directors, I, I don't recommend becoming a technician in order to become <laughs> a director. It's you should just go do the directing thing. Um, um, but that meant that when I was a board op and a programmer, I wasn't just waiting for the designer to mm-hmm. tell me explicitly what to do. I'm looking. I'm trying to anticipate the consequences of what that designer wants. Yeah. And sometimes, like the words will come out of their mouths, and I know that's not what they meant and then I will do what they meant and like mm-hmm. that kind of synergy happens up and down yeah. which is this is one of the things we I, I, f- I follow a billion movie podcasts so people talk about auteur theory all the time and and this is why I have a huge problem with auteur theory um, because it gives too much yes the director is ultimately the captain of the ship and is ultimately like technically responsible for either saying yes or not having said no sure but they didn't necessarily they weren't the spark for every good idea there's mm-hmm. a huge range of people making practical necessary decisions that are from the concepts that result in amazing things happening together and then to give that all to the director even if they're a good director is too much sure but i mean i i uh, it's funny you talk about being a director. I don't want to be a director <laughs> because uh, I feel like I'm a I'm a designer that um, definitely has like uh, like any I think any designer after a while gets a certain degree of director, directorial like I don't know views on things where they just they have the, they have opinions on I um, <laughs> I'm trying to say this in like the most political sure. way possible no, yeah. because it's yeah. because it's true and but it's that um, it's that holistic view of everything yeah. that is actually really challenging mm-hmm. and it's what I respect the most about design about directors it's that they have such they have to keep such a wide eye on everything and I was never an actor I'm not someone that like once was a performer or a director or a playwright that like now found myself in design I started as a set designer and now I'm doing this and it's that's all I've ever done until I was a lawyer but that's different <laughs> uh, but it so, so that view is something that like I can offer up occasional like ah I see the whole picture now, but they are on they are constantly yeah. doing that, which is so impressive. Um, so and I, and when I offer up ideas, it's it's to support them because mm-hmm. I know that they have a million things going on, and they're talking to us while also trying to coach uh, like direct the actors through tech and everything yeah. else. So it's it's a it's the it's the toughest job in theater, but it's it's you know when you but that's I think why so much of it relies on building trust and that in that that those teams that never that kind yeah. of thing i think that's why you see directors that go back to the same teams because mm-hmm. they can trust that suddenly there are supportive voices in the room yeah so i think that yeah yeah i was uh, it was actually giving a talk to the the interns at sitar art center about that same thing it's like because we eventually they'll just they're just curious about me as a person they don't want to hear necessarily technical things like what does it mean to be a projection designer it's like well this is what it means to be in theater and to be in theater is to spend time with a bunch of human beings that you need to hopefully ideally you just 
get along with, but also ultimately understand. So like the function of a designer is to be a whole human being in the room and to relate to the other human beings in the room and to use those relationships productively for, for, a, for a purpose. So, yeah. yeah. And I think what's interesting about like theater and other jobs is that there's, uh, how do I say this one? There's, there's, there's professional like courtesy and conduct mm. that exists in like the, in your average workplace. And that absolutely exists and it's super important in theater. However, I do know that like there are plenty of times where people get really heated and angry and just like straight up yell at each other in theater. And then you, and then you calm down and tech is, and then tech ends and the show opens and you're all friends again. But like <laughs> it's, it, it's a very emotionally charged space, but yeah. um, you know, it's an interesting, it's you have, cause you have to put some of my best friends that are directors. I say, I'm like, I've, I've told friends, I'm like, oh, you're going to think that they're mad at you. But that's just because they care so much that they get that they take everything. They're like, oh, they just oh, I have so many feelings at this moment that I'm trying to get out. But and it will feel like you're all fighting at the time because you are to an extent. Um, but you're all fighting towards the same thing, which is what's funny. Um, but that being said, I'm not condoning that. Like theater is like a wild party and <laughs> throw out the rules and everyone just like slap each other and yell at each other because <laughs> uh, respect is hugely important especially nowadays mm -hmm. um respect courtesy and understanding in the safe space of the room is um this is we're like veering into different tangents of like, <laughs> of like safe space theater and making sure that the tech process in their room is oh, really yeah. safe for people um oh yeah is is a fairly popular topic now <laughs> it's relatively new as well there was not always that degree of concern about that yeah and it's interesting like it's interesting how insidious not insidious how um how subconscious some of it oh, is yeah. that you don't think that they're like there are things that you're like oh these are things that i didn't even think about mm -hmm. but they're like not great things and it's all it's all subtle stuff that's, yeah it's not all just like people running around yelling all the time there's a lot of little things that mm -hmm. we can all do be doing to make theater space as a better space this message is brought to you by I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the show doesn't have sponsors yet but I'll, I'm willing to take them um, so I want to actually the, the original genesis of this podcast was anyway was also to talk about career so I do want to like loop back around to that like so you what order of events was the lawyer set designer okay to clarify I was never a lawyer okay <laughs> Uh, I'm not quite old enough to have done all that. Uh, I was dead set on being a lawyer when I started college. Uh, I was okay. pre-law for a year for my first, when I started, I'd done like a million internships. I'd interned the Rockville, uh, DA's office when I was in high school. Whoa. Um, I was dating someone at the time and gave me an in, but <laughs> so I was, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a, a district attorney. That was my goal. And then I started college and it was incredibly depressing mm. to be a district attorney. And it yeah. was it was hard to see that stuff. I, I often talk about, I'm not going to talk about this podcast, some of the really like darker stuff I've seen working in DA's offices. And I kind of realized that what I wanted to do was um, instead of, the way I put it is like, instead of combating evil, provide good or mm -hmm. like light in the world. And so I walked over to the theater department uh, and asked if I could help out basically and ended up I think I like t ATD two shows tech directed one because our technical director quit set design something and then lighting design two things that ran in a rep as a psych major not in the department in my <laughs> freshman year and so then I transferred uh, I'm not going to say what school that was at and then uh, <laughs> uh, we have a funny story about that later and yeah and then I went to Emerson College oh okay wow uh, and I, got, and I got my BFA in set design mm -hmm. from there. And then I came back to DC for a couple of years uh, and worked as an assistant and doing some small shows, but I mainly was assisting a lot. Uh, and then I, and then also some people were saying, oh, do you have, do you have a graduate degree? Like we, and I was like, no. And like, oh, too bad. And I was like, really? <laughs> um, and so then I decided to go back to school. And when I went back to school, I actually was applying as a set designer. Mm. And then I was at UT and they were like, actually, we have are two people this year, but we like you, so I can apply again next year. And then about three weeks later, they called someone else, Charlie called me and he's like, I saw on your resume <laughs> that you actually have like Isadora and like your photography and like you've done some projection shows. Um, and so he was like, so we have a new department, uh, integrated media for live performance. 
And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> uh, ended up being the best choice I've ever made. Yeah. Uh, and so I went back and studied uh, in grad school. Now I rarely, if ever, do set design work. I'm, I consider myself a projection designer. Um, I say that. I just announced that I'm doing a set and projection <laughs> design show like yesterday. Um, but I, so, and then I've been back in DC for three years. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I moved back in summer of 2015 and it's been, so that's where I'm at. And it's been, uh, it's been great. I love being a projection designer. Um, and it's, it's, it's funny to be doing it here in DC because it's still a town that's definitely learning yeah. what projection oh, yeah. is. And there's like a running joke that I live with, uh, I live with Jared Bizzacci. <laughs> and so we moved, we moved in together people were like uh, so if that house burns down and we were like yeah yeah not great for dc projection but um but yeah and you know i i keep trying to find more projection designers because i, I noticed I'm, the call on facebook for that like yeah. every few months i'm like anybody hello um and it's hard because there are the you know i'm trying to find younger Ones. Yeah, definitely. Because I want to build up a community of people that are trying to learn and trying to like and like make this more of a thing. But that's a different. I like again started answering your question and then like kept yeah. going. No, that's it. a that's a great <laughs> tangent to go into because there there are I think one of the things that I think is interesting working in projections and the hard thing for me as making a transition from technician because my in for most theaters has generally been that I can be the engineer and the programmer mm -hmm. and then it will eventually occur to them in an emergency that I am also a designer. Right. Uh, that's how I worked at the alley. I actually used to work at the alley. Okay. I worked there for four years. Um, uh, and then, so the master, the uh, lighting supervisor there and al at the alley, the lighting is in charge of projections, which is actually pretty rare. Mm -hmm. But, very so the reason I got hired at the alley at all was because of my film background uh, I think well it was part of it but definitely part of it because sure. um, they do the archiving there in house and all of that stuff so like being able to master a DVD was actually a pretty useful skill for the for the electrics department and then uh, I got my first design there the last year yeah, <laughs> no, this past that. month right like just this in June so like I I have been a freelancer for four years mm -hmm. and it only in, in it's in that timeline it's i've only gotten like three or four designs but i've worked with a lot of theaters doing projection because they still need the engineers so that's yeah. that's the that's the way that i've been getting in and even as an engineer it's like how many people know how to program watch out who live in dc and the answer i believe is one <laughs> yeah it might be more than that people who work with quince or whatever um mm -hmm. or some of the like corporate but right. the answer well, is generally work, I used to work there too oh yeah <laughs> I worked at Quince for a year uh, <laughs> uh, love those guys actually yeah I mean uh, they do good stuff uh, I'm a big fan of theirs um, yeah but yeah it's true there's and I have um, I have an assistant that I work with who's still in school she's going to get into her last year but I remember when we started working together like two years ago she really didn't have any training in much of anything but she wants to be a projection designer or doing events and stuff and uh, I kind of showed her like watch out in a day and then i was at quince at the time so i was like all right so you have to actually run the first day of tech for me the show's pretty much programmed but like let's watch out see you later i'll be back tomorrow <laughs> and then flew to vegas and was gone for a day and then came back and she did great but it's it's tough um yeah and it's not just about wanting help it's about wanting to build like a community of what i think yeah, is a growing absolutely. art yeah um and getting you know recognition for it and, you know this is going to be one of my like soapbox things we're, we're still definitely like advocating for like our own Helen Hayes yes. recognition yes uh, I've been asked about that in an interview that was someone once like you don't have to answer this question I was like oh I'm gonna answer okay. that question <laughs> um, but it's not about like wanting awards so much as it's just about like being uh, looked at like like that we have the same seat at the table yeah, as everyone absolutely. else and, yes. it's, and it's you know through that you get people also you can get funding you can get support you can get young, again you get the younger artists that are like yeah. oh that's a thing I have so many stories about people that are like, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, I thought that was something else. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 it's a different field. Um, and so that's why it's all about like wanting to foster a community and grow it in the city that I love. The, I love theater in DC. Um, it just needs to catch up a little bit. <laughs> I feel like everywhere else is like, there's like a Jeff and an Ernie for it now in Boston and Chicago. It's like, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I think it's, and I believe in DC and there's some really yeah. exciting work happening in town. So 
it's actually just great to chat with you because sure. like we've been Facebook friends for a while, right. but like and paths have crossed in in real life, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's just an interesting thing to swap stories and like talk about like the future of projection and like media and projection and media as an interactive thing and uh and in dc too because it's i don't know how to grow the capacity and that's part of what this podcast is actually like sort of aimed at is Uh like getting people to have this in their brains that when we start to do the longer range planning and thinking a little bit further out that it's part of the 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 background noise i guess so that people are thinking about it yeah no i think that's it's a challenge um my seasons are usually not in terms of people like announcing designers like being like oh yeah i've got my season all set i'm like "Mm, yeah it's not necessarily there but but i also know that like it will get there because um much like you know, Metro stage calling me the other day. It's like things just come up at the last minute and they don't think about it. And I try yeah. and as much as I can meet with artist directors and just get to know them. Yeah. Um, not really talking about like season specifically, just being like, Hey, like there's like, just trying to talk to them. Yeah. Uh, and put it in their brains that there are projection designers. Um, I think one of the, and it's not really, I'm not saying it's a negative thing. I just think it's in a, in some ways, can hurt the converse. It can be a roadblock in the conversation. There are a lot of people that do like lighting and projection or mm, like scenic yeah. and projection. Mm. And that's great. Like I, I've done scenic and projection too, but what's, what's tough is when they get hired basically for like the special skill of projection, like they're like hired to do lights and then they're also going to do projection. And yeah. it's like, well, are they a being paid for two design disciplines? Mm-hmm. Are they, and are they advocating for like, it as a feat? Like there's something there to, um, to just like there are practicalities to the field that we're still addressing and some of those i think that's like the most common thing that happens that i see a lot it's like people get hired because they can do both yeah and it's like oh well that's just like saving and practical it's like a practical thing but at the same time it shouldn't be like it should be that you're paying the same or or close to the same and um and you can't and you shouldn't be like counting on being yeah. able to just like add it like that kind of thing um but it happens, and it's a very natural <laughs> part of things. Um, Supertitles don't have to be boring. Right. Uh, one of my favorite movies um, is, a, is a crazy Russian vampire movie called Nightwatch. Okay. Uh, it's uh, directed by Timur Bekbamatov. He's the guy who directed Wanted and, and all this other crazy stuff. And uh, the... There's a dubbed version, which is terrible. And the subtitled version, though, is amazing because they don't restrict them. They understood the, that the odds are that people who see this don't speak Russian. They mm-hmm. made it for an international audience. So they made the subtitles reflect the mood and the motion oh, sure. of the actor. So like when an angry vampire screams something, it's in blood red in giant letters next to them and not necessarily on the bottom right. so it's a challenge to track it all around but like but it's still it's, it gives you information extra information that's really subtle and and doesn't have to be but but a projection designer will think of like oh yeah where do you want where do where do we want to pull your eye where do we want the mm-hmm. the super titles to be but uh if you're just hiring somebody who's just gonna like oh and and we'll have a projector and you put the words up and they're also the set designers like right you're compromising on both visions it's actually it's actually so much more work mm-hmm. that you're actually infringing on both of them at the same time i feel like yeah and i think there's something to um it's funny and i kind of want to circle back to this uh there's something to training and and how you learn or, int- or introduce to projection and i'm not saying like everyone needs to go get their mfa in projection <laughs> because that's just not going to happen there's like eight programs um yeah. <laughs> but there's also something to like, you know, and there are a lot of people that are self-taught that are great because they are just design, they have that design eye and they can adapt it. But there's a lot, there are some people that I, that I run into and it's, it's frustrating to me in, as someone that's interested in this field. And every time I see an example of it that I don't think is uh, the best that it could be, that I feel like there's someone there that's going to write it off be like, oh, I don't know that I want to like right. explore yeah. projection in the future. Right. And um, I've run up to that all the time. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a way of thinking about things. It's not just like, 
you know, Google image searching and then putting something out through Isadora or QLab because you figured out how to run those programs. It's right. like there's a there's a semiotic theory to it. There's like a whole way to think about it that's, um, you know, that's that's just like any other discipline. It takes like an amount of critical thinking and an orientation of how you view the work. You know, like I talk about it. I talk about it as visual scoring through like a through like a linear lens of story because mm-hmm. oftentimes you're adding a second layer of story. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I wanted to, you brought it up like several times and now I want to finally address it. Film backgrounds. Yes. Because I am not a film person. I never <laughs> study. I like, I watch a lot of movies and everything and I'm a nerd and I like will be watching a Pixar movie and taking notes because I like children's movies and like the story structure. But that's a huge thing that's also interesting to me in, in the field of projection in that there, there are so many like film artists and like video artists that do projection that suddenly get brought in to do projection yeah. that don't have and I hear I hear horror stories from friends of mine they're like oh yeah we hired this person and it's like we just gave a note about like changing the timing they're like that'll be tomorrow and it's like there's like this whole non-thinking of like how queuing works how yeah. tech works and it's just interesting because of how video and I think it also goes into how we can't seem to land on a name for this position yes. where we're like, yeah, we're projection designers. Well, we're multimedia designers. Well, we're video designers. Well, like pick one. I like, <laughs> um, but I think that's what's fascinating to me is it's it's a valuable tools kit to have that background in film and know how to film and like work a camera, yeah. creating content, and everything. But to not just, but that we need to realize that as a field that it's not just like, oh, well, they can make videos, therefore they can make yeah. projection. Um, and there's because that also translates to a lot of like, well, the, I, and the question I hate in tech or in the process of not before tech, the process is always like, where do you want the screen? Yeah, I'm like, I don't. That's just that's just what I was going to talk about. Yeah, I was like, I don't. I often say, I'm like, just don't give me a screen. Whatever you do, yeah. give me anything but a screen. That I, one of the things that definitely came up um, because we because the at that. At, for Holmes and Watson, what we did was eventually we ended up with a black scrim around the outside of the like solarium windows, essentially. Mm-hmm. So they were just windows that happened to be a projection wall material, and then I projected onto the walls. Yeah, and that works. I because I, I agree. Like the screen, we don't. The major difference between film and theater is the third dimension. Right. Film is flat. I mean, it's fun to go to 3D movies and all that, but film is essentially flat. Right. And it's and it's actually there's the, some of the greatest film effects in camera film effects ever have all been playing with the varying degrees of flatness, like the graduate mm-hmm. and the vertigo effect and all of that stuff. And and I so I can't and it's true to a certain degree of projections as well. I can't bring the third dimension, but I really need the third dimension to exist to make it what I do as interesting as I, and as effective as I think it can be. Right. Because it doesn't flatten it because I'm bringing, because motion comes from the way it falls on the, as it comes toward you and away from you. And that is really interesting. Mm. I mean, it goes back to the concept of uh, like liveness, I mm -hmm. think, in that it's like, even though it's video playing back, when it's playing back in the space and connected to performers, suddenly it takes on and has like a breath or a life of its own. Yeah. Um, Interrupted you though. No, well, no. I think that's uh, that's that's. I think back to the. <laughs> uh, I think back to the Widow Lincoln because this this was this is one of those things where like brains aren't all uh, like accustomed to how this works, and they're like, okay, so the script calls for Lincoln's beer mm-hmm. to pass in the background. And we want to do that with the projections. We don't want to, we don't have, it's, it's in her head. The idea is it's in her head. We sure. don't want an actual thing. We want her perception of the thing. So, um, so it was grounded in the concept, right? And we did it the first time. And what we did was it was a black rectangle <laughs> with, uh, with a glow. So you could see the edges uh-huh. and, and it just fell on these trunks of luggage and stuff like that, that are like the, the physical, the set was eventually like crowded in on her because Mary Lincoln didn't leave the, she sure. didn't leave the White House for like 40 days after the assassination and she slowly went kind of a little bit crazy from yep. the stress of all of that happening. And so we're giving her a physical reality of that and then Lincoln's coffin passes and I, we were all like, this is awesome because because of the three dimensions of that, it just like, 
it flows in a mm-hmm. way that it's something that real could not possibly do. Yeah. Um, which is great because it's in her head. It's not supposed to do something that, that reality. But the director's like, no, I just wanted to see see the see the coffin go by. And we're like, uh, uh, projected onto what? Right. <laughs> Especially at Fords. It's not like we can just drop a scrim in front of everything at the end of the deck. Like, right. There's no, that's not... Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like in my in the movie in my brain. I'm like, yeah, but exactly. the movie in your brain is not. Um, that's like when I did uh, Twelfth Night in Hamlet at Shakespeare Theater. There were it was hard to do like video monitors mm-hmm. basically, and then I was like, okay, but you have like a 15k projector sitting in the booth. Yes, you do. And they were like, yeah, but like there's no screen. I was like, I, I don't care. There's a floor. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, cool. And like I was one of my favorite moments in Twelfth Night where like the. Like people all, did you see Twelfth Night? I didn't see it. I just worked on it. Yeah. There was like the this, turn the harmony to an airport, and everyone like lines up these chairs, and on this like blue square of carpet, we projected just like moving clouds that went by mm. as they like took off, and then it crashed and turned into like this water, and it was like the first three minutes of the show, and then we didn't use it again. <laughs> but it was like a beautiful way to yeah. change the space, and then for Hamlet, we had the like ghost that appeared as like a glitch in the TVs. <laughs> And then, uh, again, I was like, I know where the projector is and I know where it can hit. <laughs> so then whenever, uh, whenever Keith, I think his name was, I'm, I feel embarrassed if I ruined that. The actor, whenever he, oh, when he yeah, physically okay. appeared yeah. on stage or on the little cross bridge, we, I projected the same static texture on top of him and on the yeah. bridge and it like filled the space. And like most people were like, oh, that's a cool lighting thing. I'm like, that was mine. <laughs> but, but it was, again, just like trying to take that, the... That was one. So that was one of my favorites because it took an idea from a screen and literally was the idea of like taking an image on a screen and three dimensionalizing yeah, it and, yeah. create, and bringing it into like the real world. However much theater is a real world. Yeah, I, I've wanted to do that. I wanted to do that with Caesar's Ghost so badly when I did Caesar at Georgetown. Uh, the reality of that situation meant that it didn't work. But yeah, because uh-huh. she wanted the the director like wanted a shadow. Which is fine. I mean, like the, the script is pretty clear. Like, you're not supposed to be able to see Caesar's face, and he's right. like casting the shadows. Like I, I can't actually project shadows. That's one of my favorite conversations. It's like <laughs> you realize that I'm working with light, right? And like black light doesn't exist. <laughs> I can like the shape around, and it'll like you can be like a glowy shadow. But <laughs> yeah, we eventually did. I took a picture of the actor, and we did is um, we did this like awful green texture to it so you could see the his his actual outline of it mm-hmm. as, a, as a a way of drawing Brutus's eye a couple times so that eventually ended up working but i, I and then like this is obviously a tangent this is not necessarily but uh, uh wallenstein was a show that we did years ago uh it was the like 2012 or whatever uh would have been 2013, the end of that 2012-2013 season. Um, it was uh, it was one of the reps, so it was on the same set as Coriolanus, and Coriolanus' set had all of these like uh, it was. Uh, I'm using my hand gestures to explain it to Patrick, <laughs> but uh, um, <laughs> I keep thinking about that. I'm like I'm nodding, but I'm like I should like vocalize like uh huh. <laughs> it's uh, it's a, it was like a V of concrete with doors that went up and down, and then a cent- oh, sure. centerist thing uh, like it was probably 12 feet 15 feet across mm-hmm. so there was three there's three big flat surfaces that were in concrete gray and we were, yeah. i know we were using a projector because we were using the projector for wallenstein and wallenstein was a really interesting adaptation of a trilogy mm-hmm. uh, that is very popular in germany to perform in its entirety but it's 11 hours in its entirety so it's like a day of theater festival yeah. which is not something that happens in dc which is fine but sound like you that is not fine Aaron Aaron is advocating for the next 11 hour German opera or whatever festival that we want to have in a DC theater stage yeah so kind of uh, but the, so what the what the playwright Robert Pincus I think he was a poet laureate um, okay. what he did to distill these three plays into the one play was he had like the a knowing cynical version of Wallenstein's ghost appear and then um so that led to some like real practical challenges for the actor, right? Like sure. the actor has to go from being the ghost Wallenstein to being the real Wallenstein in air quotes again, like as real as we are, like moving back into the world, mm-hmm. like we're out of the world and we're into the world. Um, and I wanted nothing more. It's like, oh, please project the ghost Wallenstein onto yeah. the walls that we have so that the, you can have this sense of him mm-hmm. looking at himself and not being real. Uh, but no, we used the projection for because people don't know enough about the Thirty Years' War, so there's a there's a big scrolling prologue. <laughs> sure. This is, by the way, what's happening in Go. And yeah, it's funny. I was just talking to someone about how I've been really lucky in 
my career in that like I tend to do shows where I end up having a lot and the projection becomes like a very big part of the shows because mm-hmm. I just uh, like Bridges of Madison County which we're opening is like started as like clouds that were like we just want to like clouds instead of a psych and I was like cool and then we now we're projecting on the house and it's like every scene is a different thing and it mm-hmm. changes a lot and there's like 80 90 cues but uh, sometimes projection is just like a few cues in a show yeah um, which is what I think also goes back to people thinking that it's like a sub discipline because like, oh but you're not like lighting the whole show or like they might not be there the whole time and you're like yeah but like you don't pay your lighting designer based on number of cues no. you know you're not like <laughs> there's a way of thinking about it that's just interesting um yeah it's just such a i, I love and i i mean I, I have friends in new york obviously and they i hear about their shows that they're doing and a lot of times they I, those tend to fall in more of the like one to five Q kind of like simple mm-hmm. gesture thing. So we're all, I think we're still as the United States, not just DC, like we're still learning what projections can do. And it's, um, it's just a fact. That's one of my favorite things about being a projection yeah. writer. It's that it's, I have no idea what my job is going to be like in the next like year. Yeah. And it's like the wild west in terms of people actually calling me and they're like, so, and I'm like, oh, right. Like, I guess I'm like an expert of some kind you know, <laughs> in this weird field where there's only like a hundred of us like, yeah. around. And like, I know people that are like, yeah, you know, like, like knowing like Mark who made Isadora and like knowing people yeah, that right. you're like, oh yeah, these are just these people. And then you're like, oh, right. I guess that's kind of weird. It's like a small community. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a great, um, great job. On that one, we can definitely. There we go. Now we now we had our hour. There we go. Uh, I'm a little rusty as well, so it's great. There's cool. uh, there's actually a whole bunch of other things I want to talk to you about. Um, sure. Uh, one of them definitely has to be off pod though, because that's not fair to you. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> the other one, uh, yeah. But there's uh, you do a lot at the Kennedy Center, um, mm-hmm. and I de- like there. There's definitely going to be an episode I think of this show where we get to talk about all about the Kennedy Center, and it's very interesting place in the DC theater scene. Yes. Um, Kennedy Center, I'll specifically say that, I'll plug this because I think that it's important. The Kennedy Center, specifically the Kennedy Center TYA, mm-hmm. uh, spearheaded by Kim Peter Kovac, David Kilpatrick, uh, and now Harry Poster and Elizabeth. Oh God, I don't remember her last name. This is going to be embarrassing on a podcast. She's great. <laughs> uh, I want to say it's like Shilhart, Shellhart. No, that's a playwright. I'm confusing people. Oh, we'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> great. Um, I can't repair your personal that's relationship with her. <laughs> that's fine. Laura Shellhart was a playwright of a TYA show. I did there. <laughs> Elizabeth Shell something is a is one of the faculty staff there. Um, but they are fantastic in uh, facilitating really interesting TYA work, which is also something that I'm a, I'm very passionate about. Mm-hmm. And they do really challenging stuff. It's not just like. Um, dumbed down children's theater they put resources behind it they do really challenging work they brought in a production of ever the glades from northwestern which was uh by reeves reeves collins directed it and it's dealt with like racial profiling and like the problems facing kids today and it was fascinating um and then there's just a like so they're they're doing constantly challenging work uh jared is doing a Mm -hmm. how to catch a star there they just keep pushing for really innovative stuff and so um, you think of the Kennedy Center as like this like institution of like they have like the Washington National Opera and like all these Broadway shows come through. But Kennedy Center TYA specifically is doing a lot of new work and they're doing it and it's in a beautiful space. Their team there is awesome in the theater. Um, clearly I'm like This is oh, why I want to have you on to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love them there. I've done I've only done two shows with Kennedy Center oh. TYA. Um but I, 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 they're great people. I've done a couple shows, like concerts in the Kennedy mm-hmm, Center. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did that young arts thing. That, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, their Kennedy Center is great. So I'm happy to talk about the Kennedy Center anytime. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll circle back to that another time. Sounds right. good. Thanks. Yep.